Tonight on Battleground, I'll take you backstage at the CPAC conference for some candid conversations with some of Australia's top conservative thinkers. CPAC 2023 was an extraordinary occasion, a place to restore hope in the future of Australia and a place to inspire us to stand up against the nonsense of the woke intelligentsia and advance the cause of common sense. I'll be talking to our 28th Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, to Barnaby Joyce, Pauline Hanson, Moira Deeming and many more. That's coming up on Battleground, which streams every Thursday at 8pm Eastern Standard Time on ADH TV and you can watch it online anytime time or via the ADH TV app, which can be downloaded on your smart TV or smartphone. The prospect of relief from rising electricity costs has become even more remote with the signing of a deal to flight, fight climate, climate change between Australia and California. Out of all the states in America, it would be hard to find one less suitable. And here are four reasons why. Number one, California has the country's fourth most expensive electricity, thanks to its investment in renewables. Californian residents pay 30 cents US cents per kilowatt hour. That's almost three times more expensive than the customers in, say, Utah. Second, California has some of the least reliable electricity in the United States. The California Independent System Operator, which oversees the state's power grid, was forced to issue an emergency alert during a hot spell last summer, pleading with customers to turn off their appliances and stop crashing the grid. Third, extending power lines to link up renewable energy plants is dangerous. A recent California auditor's report cited power lines as the cause of six of the state's 20 most destructive wildfires since 2015. Fourth, following California's example by making electricity expensive and unreliable is a great way to kill jobs. Companies are leaving California at the rate of seven a month, according to a study by the Hoover Institution. They include American Airlines, Chevron, Uber, Tesla, Kaiser Aluminium, Hewlett Packard and Oracle. California used to be the place where the nation's downtrodden fled to find work. Today it has the nation's third highest unemployment rate. Boeing claimed in an ABC interview that about half of California's electricity comes from renewables, including 27% from solar energy. I'm afraid that's a gross exaggeration. Over the last 30 days, solar has generated just 20% of California's energy. California relies on natural gas imported by Texas to generate around half of its power, and without it, the grid would collapse. It also relies on nuclear. Seven years ago, Governor Gavin Newsom boasted that Diablo Canyon, the state's last nuclear power station, would close by 2025. Last year, he had to back down and signed a bill committing US $1.4 billion to keep it open. Now, California's much-hyped batteries, which we hear all about, and renewable energy tragics insist they will be the answer to all our prayers, They've contributed just 0.1%. I'll say that again, just 0.1% of California's electricity came from batteries in the last 30 days. That, however, was marginally higher than the amount provided by solar panels at night. It is not that there's been a shortage of investment in California. Generous subsidies have attracted corporates because that's what subsidies do. Yet there's no viable way 
of reducing the current emission intensity of the grid from the current level, which is around 270 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour, to anything close to the world's best practice, which is about a tenth of that. Australia's got even more work to do. Carbon emissions from electricity generation have been running at about 500 grams per kilowatt hour for the last 12 months here. That means we have to reduce that by around 20 times to get to the world's best practice. Yet Chris Bowen insists we'll be amongst the world leaders by 2030 by becoming a renewable energy superpower. Well, uh, I will say this, Bowen's target is achievable. His target of 82% low carbon electricity can be achieved because we know other countries have done it but not by his target date of 2030 and not by using renewables alone. And he'll have to pick a better role model than California. He could do worse than partner with Wyoming. Wyoming has a population about the size of Tasmania and it produces 12 times more energy than it consumes. It's the second biggest net energy supplier after Texas. Wyoming has become, is the top coal producing state. It's been in that position since 1986. It accounts for about two fifths of all coal mined in the US. The state holds two uh, fifths of the coal reserves at its producing mines. Wyoming was the eighth largest crude oil producing state in the nation and the 10th largest natural gas producer. In other words, it's big on what they call fossil fuels. Well, the Wyoming government has read the writing on the wall and it's going to reduce its reliance on fossil fuels. But instead of going down the renewable route like Chris Bowen, Wyoming is an early adopter of the latest generation of nuclear small modular reactors. A demonstration unit is being built at a retiring power coal-fired power station at Kemera and with the assistance, along with the assistance of two, billion, two US billion dollars from the Biden administration. It'll be the first natrium reactor to be commercially employed, deployed, and it'll be on track to, it's on track to be completed by 2030, when Snowy Hydro 2 is due to come online, and some years before the likely completion of any offshore wind generators in Australia. So Wyoming is on a set and a course to transition from coal straight to nuclear, a journey jurisdictions like Ontario and Finland have already completed. The good people of Wyoming then are unlikely ever to start, suffer from power bill stress disorder, PBSD, which is a form of anxiety now commonplace in California and Australia. And they'll be free to indulge, should they wish, in reverse virtue signaling, knowing that they've achieved what the woke state of California can only promise. Now to CPAC, Australia's biggest conservative gathering of the year, which was held last week in, in Sydney. I had the great privilege to spend time backstage talking to top conservative thought leaders from Australia and the US. And I had the privilege too of talking to some of you, the viewers of Battleground, also the readers of my columns in The Australian and my regular postings on Substack. Thanks to the many who offered encouraging words, particularly on the coverage we've been giving the renewable energy madness that's destroying our landscapes and tearing communities apart. Rest assured, I won't be taking my foot off the accelerator on that issue. The anger in communities from Tasmania to Cape York is growing as the demonstrations this week in Brisbane showed. 
the colonisation of our countryside by turbines, solar panels and transmission lines, much of it paid for with foreign money, is the great underreported scandal of our time. Well, back to CPAC, where our 28th Prime Minister gave a rousing speech. I caught up with Tony Abbott backstage straight afterwards. That, that, was, a, that was a rousing speech, Tony. You, it seemed to me you, you saw it as important as getting people enthusiastic and, and willing to fight battles. Well, that's right, Nick. Uh, obviously, people are here because they are passionate about our country and they feel strongly uh, that we need to move in a liberal conservative direction. Uh, but it's not enough just to come to conferences like this. In the end, we need first to beat this divisive voice and second to try to ensure that Australia has the best possible government. Um, people need a purpose beyond just uh, mixing with like-minded people and uh, the best purpose you can have uh, once this voice is to be defeated is to join the political party of your choice, make it the best possible political party, and hopefully ensure that we have a much better government after the next election than we currently do. The Liberal Party lost a chunk of its primary vote mm -hmm. at the last election, five or six percent. Mm -hmm. Now, I suspect that a lot of those people are in that audience today at CPAC. It's important that we, we, we win them back, isn't it? Ab absolutely, and uh, we won't win them back uh, by uh, um, being Labor light. Uh, we won't win them back by being Labor without the unions. We'll win them back by being a strong and credible alternative. And this is what Peter Dutton uh, has been uh, and increasingly is being. Um, he's opposed to the voice. Uh, he's plainly moving towards uh, removing the anti-nuclear ban. Uh, I think he is going to go to the election with a much stronger version of the super for homes policy from last time. I suspect he'll go to the election uh, with a real commitment to try to make our education system at every level more academically rigorous, uh, less uh, politically correct indoctrination, which so much of it currently is. And I think this is going to be a very attractive program. Um, certainly, uh, I think it'll be a uh, a strong and credible alternative uh, to a government uh, which is uh, damaging our economy through its uh, emissions obsession, uh, which is driving power prices uh, through the roof um, and which is continuing to make difficult situations worse, not better. The nuclear issue, well, Scott Morrison's government studied it. They had a parliamentary mm -hmm. inquiry into it, a committee sat but in the end, they, they didn't feel the time was right mm. to go with it as a policy. Well, putting that to one side, I think now Peter Dutton and his energy spokesman, Ted O'Brien, have taken this issue up. We can see that they, you, we are bringing people with us on this side. Uh, look, you, you, you don't uh, exercise political leadership by waiting for people to tell you what they want. You exercise political leadership by deciding what you think the country needs and by then taking people with you. Uh, I was in a meeting recently where someone said, Ray, nuclear energy, uh, how do we persuade the public? Well, you persuade the public by making a decision yourself uh, and then forcing the public to actually consider the issue. Because when a major political party 
makes a decision, declares a policy, um, then the general public got to sit up, take notice, decide what their position is. As long as it's just a debate uh, inside the Canberra bubble, which never comes to any particular conclusion, why should the public actually attend to it themselves? If we are incapable of making up our minds, why should the public make up their minds? Net zero or the commitment to net zero 2050, um, whatever you and I might have thought of it, seems to have brought a turning point to the debate, right? It's now not whether but how we try to achieve that what seems to be impossible target and nuclear then becomes the only option. Yeah, look, the, the only way we can get to net zero and keep the lights on is via nuclear power. Now, um, if I had to choose between getting to net zero and protecting Australian jobs, Australian industry uh, and Australians' cost of living, uh, I'd go for the latter, not the former. But nevertheless, uh, given that there has been a commitment to net zero, um, let's get there in a way that helps our country, not harms our country, and that's obviously nuclear. Another big issue at the moment I know you're concerned about is the misinformation, disinformation mm -hmm. bill. I'm, I'm just amazed that people don't look at this and see it for the mm. problem it is. Uh, plainly, uh, free speech is at the heart of a successful society. Free speech is at the heart of, uh, of our civilization. Um, free speech is how, uh, in fits and starts, um, through a process of argument, we ultimately get to approach the truth more closely. And uh, this idea that we should have big tech uh, applying a political correctness test to the things that people post um, is going to be turbocharged if you've soon got some faceless official um, looking at everything uh, as to whether they think it's false and misleading mm. and then slapping fines on big tech uh, um, if it uh, doesn't do what it's told. And, and I just think this is anathema to any, any conception of a truly free society. Well, you can't have the government be the one that decides, right? I mean, governments constantly get it wrong. I dare say even your government maybe in a small respect got things wrong. Ab absolutely, yeah. no government is perfect. Uh, no individual has a monopoly of knowledge, insight and wisdom. Uh, we've all got to accept that some people might know more than us and uh, we've got to give them uh, a chance to say their piece and some of them we have to give a fair hearing to and, and um, you don't uh, advance by repression. You've been in this game a long time, you've seen the political cycles, you've been involved in them. Where do you see this current government? Do, I think we can see as people who follow this all the time that the wheels are coming off the Albanese government, mm. that he has no real answer to mm. things like housing, the cost of mm. living. No, no election is unwinnable, no election is unlosable. Um, any potential party of government has got to treat each election as an opportunity to win. Uh, not to, as it were, uh, avoid a catastrophic defeat, but to actually go for a win and I think that's what Peter Dutton's uh, aiming at and I think there's every chance of success. Good on you, Tony. Thanks for coming and enjoy the weekend. Good on you, Nick. Thanks so much.
Well, no, no mistaking uh, who I've managed to find in the crowd right now. There's no introduction, but I will anyway. Welcome, Pauline Hanson. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes. You've been here at CPAC last year, I recall. No, I haven't. This is this my, your no, first this, CPAC? This is my first CPAC. Well, so I'm listening to the speakers. Very interesting what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to agree with everything, right? That's the whole point. We don't have to agree with everything one says. We just need to be making sound, sensible arguments. Look, that's what it's all about. You know, the people feel lost. A lot of people have switched off from politics over the years. They feel there's no hope. No one's listening to us, what the people have to say. This is very important because what we're trying to tell people today, there is hope, and it's about the conservative values. It's about our country, about being patriotic. It's about being, you know, caring about our future and family values. And I think that's very important to get that message across to people. We can. We've got to remind ourselves we can win arguments, right? When we actually put our minds to it, we can win the argument. If you've got the opportunity to have that argument or have that debate, and that's what it's all about, not so much an argument, it's about debate. But when you are shut down from debate because of government policies and the direction they have us going, or shutting down people's you know, right to have an opinion, we have real problems because that is a communist country. We are not communists and we shouldn't be heading down that path. That's why you know, I will fight very much against the misinformation, disinformation bill. You know, it is, and how we're going to so work and telling these kids, you know, well, you can wake up and you can be a girl today or a boy, whatever you want to. This is absolutely ridiculous. And it's breaking down family values and morals, and that's what I oppose. And the climate change rubbish that we're, you know, forcing cost of living on everyone. So it's a lot of issues there that that needs to be spoken about. Over the years, and I've known you for so many years. I was there at your initial press conference there in Parliament House, 25, <laughs> 30 years, nearly 30 years ago, would you believe? Uh, 96, and yeah. I thought, here's the woman we're going to hear a lot of. But here's the point: if they'd have had a misinformation, disinformation bill back then. They would have silenced you from the start over things that you've been proved right on. Most definitely, Nick. I wouldn't have had a chance. And it's because I took the time. I got away from the media because the media were misreporting my message. That's why I travelled extensively about nine months of the year. So people came to listen to my, my speaking engagements and they said, no, that's not what she said at the venue. We listened to her. That's not what you're putting across. So that's why I engage with people. It's about having that contact with people to listen to what they they have to say. I, Debbie C, I, I saw you in Tamworth. I wasn't in Tamworth. I was watching live on 88 when you got up at that rally to talk about The Voice very early on in the campaign. I have to say it was the best speech you ever gave. You feel inspired. You feel driven about this issue. Why? Nick, you know, when I gave my first main speech in 1996, my opening line was, I was born here, this is my country, where the bloody hell am I supposed to go? And I said it back then. And all I have ever done is call for equalities for all Australians. I have actually asked for accountability. I got called racist. Sometimes it sort of hurts when I hear these people say it these days and they get a pat on the back and we should be headed down the path. I was saying it nearly 30 years ago. You know, so my message hasn't changed. I saw the issues, I saw the problems. I was the first one to call to get rid of ADSIC. Yeah. It was a corrupt organisation, which Howard did a number of years later. So it's all about, you know, I've said, I was born here, this is my country. You help those that are disadvantaged. You don't do it based on race. And this whole thing is based on race. And there's a hidden agenda. And I'll tell people why they want to put it in the Constitution. When Governor Phillip 
and Philip came here, there's no one body to do a treaty with. Yes. So, and there wasn't sovereignty. There were a mob of tribes, different tribes, unlike New Zealand where they did have the one they could do a treaty with. By us enshrining it in the constitution, we the people are acknowledging them as the people to actually represent all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, then the treaty will happen because we've given them that authority. Understand yeah, what you're voting yeah, for. Yeah, the treaty we, will be next. We will actually give them the authority to be that voice for the treaty. And here's the thing, Pauline. Um, Noel Pearson complains that Ab Aboriginal people are not in the Constitution because they don't mention Aboriginal people. They don't mention redheads from Queensland. They don't mention pommy migrants either, but we're in the Constitution because we're all citizens. We're on an equal basis, right? That's the point. We're just looking for equal equality of citizenship. It is. It always has been that way. Even before Federation, the Aboriginal people had the vote, even Aboriginal women, and that's first in the world. But it's always been there. But they don't want to acknowledge that because they want to separate us and divide us. And they want, they're heading towards a nation within a nation. That's the true guts of this whole thing, that you, the people, will be paying for and pay for dearly for generations to come. What's the message you'll be giving this afternoon? Look, I'm talking tomorrow morning mm -hmm. and um, I think it's just about telling people, stop taking things for granted. You can't anymore. And people need to get up and, and have that voice. Don't just turn off the TV because you don't like hearing the news. Unless you're informed, you can't have be able to make a well-informed decision. So you must listen to that. You must talk and you have a right to have an opinion, to have a say, as I have always done. It's taken me a lot to find that and stand and stop my knees from shaking well, when I first started, Nick, but anyway. It looks like a terrific morning's or day's viewing tomorrow on ADH TV. We're bringing you Keith Pitt at 9.40. He's just plunked his show. What time are you on? Um, early morning. I think Andrew just said to me that I'm up early in the morning. It could be 9.30, Set 11.30. your alarm clocks because Pauline <laughs> is going to give a cracker of a speech And I'll tell you what, you, you must tune in because we've got a special um, little clip of cartoon coming tomorrow that you haven't seen before. Ah, so you've got to tune in. For I'm it. loving those. Thank you, Pauline. <laughs> Thanks, See you later. Bye-bye. Well, people are here from all sorts of walks of life uh, and different things at the top of their mind. Sal, what brings you here and what are you here, what's the issue at the, former, at the forefront of your mind? So I'm here to talk about the conflict between sex and gender in law um, and I take every opportunity to talk about it so I was just so grateful that um, Andrew asked me to come. Um, so I'm going to, I'm, well, I'm being taken to federal court um, on this topic so I, yeah, I need to talk about it as much as possible and make people aware that there's a law that basically makes us all have to believe that men are women and we'll be punished if we don't believe it. It's unbelievable isn't it that I wouldn't have believed five years ago even that it would become such an uncontroversial thing to talk about. I controversial Yeah thing. if someone had told me five years ago that you know that one that I would be in any way notable for saying men aren't women or that anyone would think it was brave to say that I would not have believed them. It was not something I ever like it ever occurred to me to say. So I, did, I never even thought to look at law and think, oh, have they changed the Sex Discrimination Act and, Act and taken women out of them? But they have. Tell me about that. I mean, what, what work do we need to do to restore the integrity to these laws? 
Well, so basically in uh, 2013, the Gillard government made amendments to the Sex Discrimination Act and put gender identity into it, which creates a conflict because um, you've got the Sex Discrimination Act and then you've got something in there to for people who reject their sex. So it's that's essentially why there's the conflict. So you then can have a man who claims he's a woman and then be is he covered as a woman under the act? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Because, I mean, to most people, they think, well, this is just common sense. Why are we arguing? But once you get into the, the, the law, then words matter, right? Definitely. Exactly. And it just, there needs to be clarity. Like, you could have, you know, gender discrimination issues in other places in the law where they're not in conflict with sex. That would probably be the most common sense way to... Um, cope with it. But I think a lot of people think that it's just, you know, we're just talking about a hypothetical issue or it's just a social issue and they don't realise that the laws have actually already been changed. They sort of believe that we're dealing with like a, an oppressed minority who's completely marginalised and it's like, no, 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 this very marginalised group got laws changed in stealth with no one knowing about it, with no mandate to do it. And so, yeah, we have to fix it now, basically. You know, these, these laws go through Parliament, the amendments go through Parliament. You sometimes wonder whether half the people in that Parliament are asleep letting it through, right? From my research on it, I actually think that most of them don't know what they're actually doing. Like, they haven't researched the issue, and so they think they're just doing something that's kind to a small minority of people, which you'd be like, okay, that's cool, but when you actually go and research it, you are being very unkind to women and girls and then by extension actually everybody else because everybody has freedom of belief and these laws really step on freedom of belief and freedom of speech. Because activists, activists are very clever at trying to disguise their true intentions by putting some little gloss on it aren't they? It seems to be the case, yeah. <laughs> I mean I'd never really had experience with activists before this so it's been a big education. Um, to see that they were able, the thing is that they were able to do this particular issue in, in quite in secret, which is um, quite chilling. Yeah. So I'll enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Okay, so you, 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 is this your first trip? No, no, I've been here before. Uh, but look, this, this is, just gets better every single time. Uh, yeah, really good attendance and. Uh, yeah, these are our people, right? Exactly, they are and our people. Uh, you know, people from every party on the centre right are none. You know, and that's a good thing. We're not just talking to the usual crowd. These are people that just feel our values and want people like you to go out and fight for them. Uh, well, I, I've been really encouraged. The, the people here on the floor. The, the, there's so many come up. They keep going, keep fighting. Uh, we, we know there's a lot of resistance, uh, but you're on the right track. And uh, I just really appreciate the fact that people take the time out of the day to do that. Uh, as you know, every now and again it gets a bit flat, right? Yeah, we, we've talked, um, you know, we talked earlier about how important it is to get people. Jacinda Price, Barnaby here, Tony Abbott, to really ramp up the crowd. But I sense that when Barnaby came on stage, he was wrapped up too. I mean, he gets a buzz from the crowd and gives him a bit more courage to go out there and, and fight for the people of New England. Oh, look, absolutely. When Barnaby switched on, he switched on. And he was, he was switched on today, I can tell you. Uh, in fact, we've, we've just compared notes. I'm going to have to change some of the things I intend to decide tomorrow. 9.40 if you're watching. I'm up 9 .40 tomorrow. 9.40 tomorrow morning. Don't forget this man. Um, Keith, the issue that Barnaby raised, so-called renewable energy, although we know it's not renewable. I've, I've seen a, 
a, a dump in far north Queensland where they put those blades. There's nothing renewable about those. No. But this is a... I, I don't think people in the city really understand what a big issue this is out there in the bush right now. Uh, absolutely. I mean, reality's starting to strike home now. 10,000 kilometres plus of transmission. You heard Barnaby say that out the front of his place they want an easement a kilometre wide for transmission lines. Over 2 million hectares of solar panels. 2 million... Thousands of wind turbines. You know, offshore here, the proposal, the cap for the height of wind turbines offshore New South Wales is 260 metres. Now, that is twice the height of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It, it is mad. It can't, is mad. can't be recycled. They're a carbon fibre composite. And we hear all about nuclear, nuclear waste. Well, I'll give you a really easy number. This comes from the energy agency in, in the US. So they've got a relatively old reactor fleet, uh, but their nuclear reactors produce electricity that powers 70 million homes. And every year, those reactors produce about 2,000 tonnes of waste. Now, that sounds like a lot, but the reality is that is half an Olympic swimming pool a year for 70 million houses. You compare that with the population in Australia, 26 million. Mm. By comparison, wind turbine blades alone are expected to produce 43 million tonne of blades by 2050. And what are you going to do? Well, they're left in the bush, as you saw. This is the thing. I mean, you could put one in Armadale or up there somewhere. 18 hectares of land, that's all you'd need for it. Concrete slab, 18 hectares of land, you can have Correct. one running in five, five years. You wouldn't need to do all this transmission lines. You wouldn't need to do one giant turbine every 18 hours from now until 2030, would you? And guess where that land's coming from? So there's about 425 million hectares of ag land in this country, cleared and partially cleared. It's not going to national parks. It's not going to areas which haven't been cleared. The only places they can go is on ag land and that is bad for our food security, it's bad for the people that own that land, and into the future, as this country grows, and we want to produce more, how do we do that? Well, we want to produce more food, not just for ourselves, but so we can export it, you know, in countries like Indonesia, so they can have good quality, cheap food. This is what's happening, isn't it? We are making a choice between this unproven, uh, non-useful form of electricity. Oh, it's proven. It's proven not to work, right? <laughs> if only look what's happening in other countries. 22% utilisation for solar. So basically, uh, it'll do 20% of its nameplate capacity. So you know, if it's a five kilowatt system, you get a thousand kilowatts on average for the year. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It is just ridiculous. I mean, imagine a conference like this or any event. Imagine the Matildas playing soccer. Correct. And they have to stop playing because the wind wind stops blowing. You know, it's just it, it, none of it is manageable, is it? Well, you shouldn't have to look outside the window to see if you can turn the stove on, right? That that's that's where we're coming to. Now, Keith, I don't know what company it is that's going to put the wants to put the energy transmission towers outside Barnaby's place but they picked the wrong spot there they've got a fight on their hands oh well, I think so and Barnaby's certainly working up a lot of people across the country who have, have now worked out that they're going to pay the price now if this is your thing right if it floats your boat and you want solar knock yourself out if you want wind turbines knock yourself out but how about we put them down here at Manly Beach we'll put them at Bondi we'll put them somewhere close it just makes sense engineering right. sense yeah, right? the, where the, the load the is the TLMPs love this stuff Absolutely. we can give it them right on they their own they can have as many as they want we can do that straight away but yeah I think they've picked the wrong fight with Barnaby but regardless of which company it is I'll tell you why they're doing it it's because they get a regulated rate of return for their transmission of over 5% now that's a pretty good investment paid for by guess who every one of you yeah, the one thing I found travelling around, I've been to a lot of these communities, in every case, it, the, the, it splits the community. It divides towns that were once, you know, very good, friendly towns where people got together for the rural fire brigade or to put on something for the, you know, barbecue, sausage chittle for this and that. Those towns have got people no longer speaking to each other. I mean, I find that one of the most tragic things of all. 
Well, when you look at this, um, so your next door neighbour might have wind turbines in their place. They might be getting paid up to $30,000 a year for that each wind turbine. What do you get? You get the transmission line or the substation or the things that cut your farm in half. That means you can't utilise it properly. And guess what the bank does? They come and revalue your property afterwards, mm. and I'll guarantee you the value doesn't go up, it goes down. And that makes it very, very difficult for your operation. And those people are taking a hit. It's just not, it's not part of the fair Australia that, I, that we know. Just not cricket. No, uh, no, no. Uh, just before I let you go, on The Voice, uh, this time last year we were here, we heard Jacinta Price give a very inspiring speech, but back then I don't think any of us were confident that we could win this argument, but now I think we feel a little bit more confident we can. Well, it's good to be confident, but we need people to turn up. Uh, if the referendum date comes and no one turns out to vote, well, we could get anything. So I think it's going down like a brick and tile glider, and, and it deserves to, because the fundamental proposition that we are putting forward on the No campaign is, is this easy. We are one people, and we are one country, and we are all Australians, and we are all equal, and you should vote no. Keith, thanks for that. 9.20 tomorrow morning. 9.40? 9.40. 9.40, set your alarm clocks. Set it first here. <laughs> Great to meet you. Thanks. thanks. Particularly inspiring about this morning through everybody, from the opening, which your husband Colin played, played to, and, and from everybody from your speech in particular. This isn't about us. Mm. It's not about the right. It's not about the Liberal Party. It's mm. about Australia. Mm. Exactly. Um, it is about Australia, and it is about understanding and respecting that we all belong here, uh, whether we come from... You know, those of us who have ancestry that stems back you know, tens of thousands of years, uh, but I've also got ancestry of where my ancestors were, you know, dispossessed of their own land, brought here in chains as convicts. They're my ancestors also. Uh, and those who have come, you know, in more recent times. My, my husband is a recent Australian. He loves this country. That's why he's uh, fighting for this country. I think it's one of, you know, the last hopes of the world in terms of, um, a Western nation, which which really provides all the opportunity everybody needs to get go forward in life, uh, and we've come under attack from from the left, from cancel culture. Um, you know it's the insidiousness of you know woke culture, and we need to fight back, and we need to get back to our Australian values, uh, which were created by by all of us. Um, and instead of you know dividing us along the lines of race and effectively creating different classes of Australians, we this is not how we are. It's un-Australian. Yeah. You've been travelling an awful lot, right? Flying around the country, uh, and you you spent recently or you you had a bit of time off because you weren't too well. But mm. <laughs> what I want to ask you is, have you got back to your homeland? Have you gone back to Walpuri territory, back mm. to Yundamu, spoken mm. to your people? Mm. How are Indigenous people in the bush? Yeah, look, I mean, I have had, um, when I was last in Tennant Creek, I had uh, my elders, some elders uh, come to me, a group of women and said, you know, pulled me aside. They said, Jacinta, we just want you to know we are right behind you. Don't worry about what people are saying. Don't worry about what the media is saying. You know, you, you've got this Warrabri people right throughout from this community to that community and we don't support the voice. We, we don't support this we know that we elected you, you're our voice for us. And, you know, it's not just, it's really heartening to know that that's the case. And I, and I was also reminded in that conversation, she said to me, you know, when you look at the Australian flag, the Southern Cross is Chukurba, is our Chukurba, is our dreaming. We, we're represented in that flag. We are one people with that flag. 
And that was something, a reminder for me in that moment. That's right. You know, I was like, that's right. We, our, you know, Chukurba is also there as part of, you know, those stars. So it, it's been really wonderful that there are those community members who come up to me and encourage me in that way from, you know, f from a lot of the remote communities. They get it. They get it. They get that, you know, largely mob from the bush are often exploited by the Indigenous Aboriginal industry. It's their marginalisation that's been exploited for the purpose of an industry. So they know when I'm going out there to fight that I'm fighting on their behalf so their voices can be heard. It's a good point, isn't it, when Noel Pearson said, well, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are not in the Constitution. But the point is they are, they're citizens. I mean, old poms, you know, <laughs> pommy migrants aren't in the Constitution either, yeah. but it doesn't make me feel any less Australian. That's the point, isn't it? We're all Australian. That's exactly right. We're, we're all Australian. We're all brought up as such, uh, as Australian. You know, my, I mean, my grandparents saw whitefellas for the first time in their early adolescence, but they wanted to understand these new human beings and be part of the world that was changing before them. And, uh, you know, for those elders in my communities, they are some of the most accepting individuals. You know, the idea that anyone who was conceived in this country, their baby spirit has come from the land, you know, as part of them, they hold the dreaming regardless of their racial heritage. That to me is what it means to be Australian in our constitution. We're all citizens of this country and we're all included. That's what inclusiveness actually looks like, yeah. being as one, not, um, you know, not being provided special measures because of our race. It's uh, understanding that the opportunities exist for us all. We just have to pull the right levers and we have to stop accepting uh, the narrative of the insidious left who suggests that uh, we're victims because of our racial heritage and removing our agency through that narrative. That's got to stop and that's what we're up against. Well, what more have we got to do in the next two months to win this? Well, we've got to go hard. <laughs> we've got to go hard. Um, We've got to make sure that we're passing the message on to our family members, to our communities, um, you know, why this is so important to make sure that you're well informed before you vote at this referendum. And there's a lot of people, everyday Australians, who just, you talk about the voice to them, they say, oh, sorry, is that the TV program? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, they have to understand that their, their vote is really important. Uh, and I think when Australians are informed, they tend to vote no because there's no detail on Labor's side uh, and there's every reason to vote no. Uh, and, uh, you know, we cannot be divided and we cannot be complacent. So I urge everybody out there, jump on board, um, volunteerfornow.com.au uh, because it'll be those last couple of weeks leading up to the referendum, the pre-polling, um, that'll be really important for everyone to get on board with. Well, the more, the more you learn about this voice, the less there is to like about it. I think that's been my experience the last year. And the more you get to know this lady, you realise she's an exceptional, exceptional woman and she's doing a terrific job. Go well. Thanks, Nick. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. <laughs> well, welcome back to, uh, to the venue here at Star City for CPAC. Great CPAC. It's going well. With me is Sam Kennard. Sam, uh, really and good Nick. one. Really yeah. good atmosphere, right? Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, it's a great gathering. And, yeah. and you're somebody I know who's backed these things and backed other um, conservative causes for many years. It, it must warm your heart to see 
so many people come together to support a good... Oh, it, it brings a lot of heart, I think, to um, people who believe in freedom, small government, individual responsibility, to see a gathering where people actually come together and talk about those ideas freely and you're not alone in the wilderness on, that, on these things. You're, you're, of course, you're in business, you, you run the great Kennards company. Yeah. And, uh, you want, want to dump all that stuff that's junking up your spare room, this man will take you somewhere. <laughs> Kennards. Uh, that's what I did. Damn, um, but, but for business, how is this government working out for business? Uh, this government um, is is not going great. Uh, there's uh, and, I, and to be honest, no, the pri prior even um, Liberal National governments haven't been terrific either. There's been um, a, a growing uh, weight of regulation uh, on on businesses, and it's not in either political party's DNA to be light light on let regulation. They seem to keep loading it up. Um, in every way they can, and uh, so it's 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 difficult. But right now, I think the um, the Albanese government is is doubled down on a lot of that stuff. Um, whether it's whether it's how we have to, um, um, you know, it's going to be an energy policy, or whether in the cost cost of doing business is going to go through into everything, or whether it's in in in, in HR, IRR, you know, all of those things um, are getting much more complicated, and much more expensive. Point for business. I mean, competition is the thing that keeps you on your toes, right? I mean, you you were one of the first into this field many years ago. Your father into, yeah. into the self storage business. Yes. But you have to keep innovating, don't you? Because you've got to keep up with the competition. Uh, exactly. Uh, we've got to be agile. Um, the competition are always trying to do do things um, better and cheaper and and than, than than others and each other. We're all trying to do that. So we've we've got to be um, we've got to have the most move uh, room to move in what we can do without res restrictions. Yeah, that, that that's the point I've made this point several times before. Productivity. If you want to bring productivity because productivity is falling off the cliff at the moment. Yeah. If you want to do that, we've just got to allow business room to do what they want to do, right? Yeah. To be agile. Yeah. I mean, the, the more they regulate and require from government, uh, from uh, from businesses to write a re fill out a form, pay a yeah. fee, write a report, um, is all distraction from doing stuff that will add value to what we can do to to um, to bring value to our customers or to um, help our employees do a better job. Um, all of those things are distractions from from what we should really be doing that that helps helps our business grow. It's some big issues we're talking about this weekend. We're talking about the voice, of course. We're talking about the misinformation, disinformation beetle. We've just heard Barnaby Joyce talk about the renewable uh, energy uh, movement and how that's eating into farmland and nature, the natural environment. What at this moment, what would you put number one of your agenda, on top of your agenda? In uh, in our business or generally? I mean, generally. We, we've got a lot, uh, and I, th I think um, the general uh, cost inputs um, are going up uh, a lot, so and they're just hard to hard to manage and hard to contain. Um, I, I think Australia's, you know, in the construction sector, and I think this will flow through. There's a lot of government spending in infrastructure, which is crowding out the ability for private sector to to build and grow. And I think that's probably, um, you know, you, in the Queensland you've got the Olympics, for example, but everyone's building a train line and a stadium and a and another rail, another um, motorway or something or something else. And and these um. These are actually crowding out. It's really hard to get um, stuff built, yeah. new stuff built, uh, at an effective price these days. Well, I know, but that works well for you, right? Because if people can't put a new garage on, they're going to have to take it to Kenner. Well, yeah, or if my competition finds it hard to build new, new projects. But we, we're all trying to build new projects, and it's not just us. It's, it's housing, it, it's warehousing, it's uh, it's office buildings. It's it's all of those things that are all getting impacted by these high, you know, higher costs. Um, so yeah, we're feeling that at the moment. Sam, thanks for your support. Thanks yeah. for keeping the debate real. Thank you. It was great. Thanks, Nick. Good to right, see you. Bye-bye.
Well, that was CPAC 23. More fun than we have any right to expect. But thank you all who came along for it. And uh, if you weren't there, then please get ready for next year. They'll be announcing the date shortly and, and book your place. You can watch it, of course, on ADH TV. We were streaming all weekend. Uh, it was live coverage, a lot of, uh, you know, off the cuff sort of stuff that you saw and also some magnificent speeches. And uh, we had great viewing numbers for that. So thanks for tuning in. But it's nothing quite like being there, is it? Uh, amongst friends, uh, where you can meet up with people, you can say what you think. There are no rules at CPAC uh, and just enjoy uh, some good company and some decent common sense. So thanks again to everybody who came. I'm looking forward to next year immensely. That's all from Battleground for this evening. Uh, don't forget you can email me at nickcater at adh.tv. Uh, please keep your comments coming. Thanks to everybody uh, involved in that magnificent production, to Charlie in the studio here, to Fred, uh, Martina, whole range of uh, volunteers who stepped in to help us get that thing to air, uh, thanks to the CPAC organisers too, to Andrew Cooper and Lindell and the team there. And uh, thanks most of all to all of you for watching. Good night.